0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to an episode of the Palace Wave podcast. What a time it is to be a Palace fan. Now, I have to talk very quickly about Bruno because he owes everyone, listeners included, a massive apology because a few weeks ago he was taking his girlfriend oh, to Palace for the first time. And we did say, didn't we, against Bournemouth that we'd lose. So I'm right. Bruno, you owe me a pint, whether you know it or not. Would you like to make a comment at this time?
1: I politely declined. Your face, honestly,
0: it looks like a slap so-and-so. Anyway, on a lighter note, I say lighter note, absolutely not a lighter note. This season feels like a bit of a standstill. There's a kind of a a, a negative war around the club after what was a pretty disastrous week for the club. Um, A fairly commendable point, to be fair, against West Ham, but again, something we'll touch upon, followed by very, very complicated defeats to Bournemouth and Liverpool of varying natures, which again, we'll have plenty to unpack on. So without further ado, I want to just jump before we look at the games themselves on a bit about the general malaise of the club. Because, I mean, it's fair to say things are quite negative. I mean, Bruno, aside from just sort of bantering you there, I'm going to give you a chance to to really uh, come back into the limelight and perhaps maybe give me a seeing to, not like a (laughs) seeing to like that. I'm leaving that in.
2: That's so bad. I meant to say talking to. (laughs) Oh,
1: no, no.
2: This is going to be on the internet. So you might need to cut that bit.
1: uh, now nah, we're leaving in we're leaving, we're leaving in. in we're leaving in all right all right right, all let's, let's talk let's talk Crystal Palace right. football right, football. right. Okay. talking yeah. to yeah. talking
0: to I was pretty downbeat there but I, we have discussed before about you know this idea of like was my supposed to have a good point. Is there something good on the horizon? I mean, we're talking about the standstill, but there is talk of a new manager. I mean, anyone who's been following the press at the moment from numerous sources across the board, right from TalkSport through to the Telegraph, would have seen that uh, former Seville and Real Madrid manager, a pedigree, I am no idea if I'm saying that right, and of course Nottingham Forest Steve Cooper are both hotly linked with the club. So, Bruno, I mean, just looking at the general feeling around the club, What's that like at the moment? And then regarding the managerial situation, do you think we're going to make a move or some sort of big change early?
1: Well, I mean, when things aren't going as desired, uh, and especially when you're in this sort of stagnant um, phase for the club, people are always going to want a change of managers. That's just the way it is, especially, you know, we're accustomed to Roy Hodgson having a successor. we had it with Patrick Vieira. And we would expect like he was to have a progressive manager um, as the next man in charge. and Between the two names that have been reported by the press the most, um, in in Lopetegui and and Cooper, I'm not particularly inspired. Now, I feel like Lopetegui is not dissimilar to Roy, and that's a disservice to both of them at the same time, but I'll explain it. He's quite dedicated to achieving the result on each individual match day but i feel like that comes at a cost of high quality football obviously there's sort of a opportunity cost there you know what would you rather have with Vieira, it was neither towards the end but both at the start not quite sure how that happened but steve cooper on the other hand would offer an additional sort of third dimension to that playing a similar sort of style of football yes but youth he coached mark gay at um with the England under seventeens, won the World Cup with them. Uh, and also at Swansea when he was on loan there from Chelsea. He's known for his ability to develop the youth. We've got an incredible youth academy. It's one of Steve Parrish's favorite um uh projects at this club, and it's one of the things he's proudest of. Um we've got players like Adam Allah Adabomi and David Ozo who are you know deserving of League One or so loans. <clears 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 <throat> in the coming season should absolutely get their chance in the Premier League. David Ozo, especially, you know, he's already sort of knocking on the door uh, of our midfield. And I feel like Steve Cooper out of the two of them would probably be the ideal option for the academy players in terms of the club breaking into the top half of the table. I'd say Lopetegui might be that, that, that manager for us instead, but it, it's pretty difficult to judge when neither of them have experience managing a team like us, where we already have that stability. And I assume This would be a decision made either later in the season or next season. The club would be reluctant to do it now just because of where we are in the year and Hodgson has a contract for the rest of the year. So, yeah, I mean, Bobby, I'm I'm curious on your thoughts uh, between the two. Uh, Do you think that Lovataki could um, offer something from a youth perspective or would um, Cooper sort of dominate in that regard?
2: I think certainly if you're looking at youth, I would agree with you. Um, Cooper's the one who would be more likely to Play the youth. I think the positive with Cooper is that he'll get that buy in from the fans. So you can see what he's done at Forest. The fans love him. They, they lose 5 nil away from home. Cooper admits that it's his fault. Yet the fans still stand with him and they actually blame the players. So if you want buy in from the fans, I think he's your man. I like lopetegui I agree with you on the fact that he'll get the club results. And I think out of the two, the club do favour him. But it's a really interesting one. And I think it also depends on what the objective is from the club and what the objective is from the fans. Because I think Palace fans have succumbed to the fact that they're a mid-table club and that how do you really breach that next level? How do you get to the next point? And what is the next point? That's the problem. What do Palace fans and what do the club themselves define as the next
0: point? I mean, there's a serious point. I'm going to make something out of the uh, the inappropriate comment I accidentally made earlier about a seeing two, but we have been turned on and left as a fan base. You know, there is a serious point here in that, you know, we, we've we been given this brand of attractive football. It just feels like it was snatched away from us in this sort of well-established filler season that we always like to call it on the pod. You know, I think of both those managers, I'm not saying they're the most progressive in the world or that we're going to play electric football every week or certainly possession-based football like we did under, under Vieira, but there's at least an element of hope here in either manager that there is scope and a successful track record of projects being built around them and some degree of result being achieved. Um, it varies with success depending on where they've been, but. Both of them have wildly different CVs, but both promise something in a way that Roy Hodgson simply was never going to as part of this, as I say, filler season. It is a really interesting one. I mean, I think Cooper certainly has, a, has an eye for youth, which is definitely something that will be factoring into the club's long-term plans. But, I mean, it's interesting yourself, Bobby, that you say that the club favours a pedigree. I mean, particularly given the controversy around the circumstances in which the pedigree left Wolves, and uh, obviously it's quite well reported that it seems like a dispute over transfer fees. Do you actually think we could offer the pedigree what we
2: want or will he be someone else that gets turned on and left by the club? Well, I'm working on an article on it at the minute, funnily enough. But I think the thing with Lopetegui is that he will see, or whoever the manager is next season, um, I think it will be Lopetegui or I, I personally, that's who I prefer out of it, anyone as well. They'll see the first major outgoing of the project. So that's your revenue stream for that summer, if you like. I I think two will go out next summer, but you'll at least see the first major outgoing of the project and you can then get your new cycle of where you reinvest in the squad. You buy cheap or buy for what the club would deem as reasonable for that player, of a player who will then increase in value over the time they spend at the club. You sell on and it becomes a never-ending cycle, similar to what happens at Brighton. So I do think you will see a larger transfer budget next year. Um, So I don't think that will necessarily be a problem. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. And
1: what I'll, what I'll add to that is I really feel like, in terms of those managers, our club is in desperate search of an identity. Our fans mm-hmm. got that identity in Vieira's first season and then it sort of fizzled away. We lacked it under Roy Hodgson. It failed with Frank Lampard. We didn't really have much of an identity under um, Sam Allardyce. The last manager I felt we had a, a brand of football for a consistent period of time was Pardew and it then sort of evolved into, you know, hyperbole in a way and how it became almost um what's the word i'm looking for a caricature of itself in in how entertaining and ridiculous it became and i think the club wants to maybe take a half step between where we are now and where a reputable brand would be of football and i feel like those managers would be able to offer that alongside results but we cannot expect you know too sudden a transition because i think the, the club's learned from its mistakes there with with patrick and with um uh, with Frank in terms of you can't make that kind of transition without significant backing, um, both financially and sort of emotionally. Um, in terms of departures next season, there's you know a certain big money signing we made, at least relative to us, that is yet to sign a contract extension and will have two years left on his deal. I know that he's one of your favourites, Alex Joachim Anderson. Mm. Do you think... We have a replacement already at the club in Chris Richards, or do you think we'd have to look elsewhere? Categorically,
0: I mean, uh, we've only really seen him (laughs) recently in a midfield role, but looking historically, I think he's always put in a good performance for the club. He offers versatility in a number of positions, but I think out and out, he is a centre-half fundamentally. I know he's had good spells at left-back at Bayern and Hoffenheim and has generally moved around in his career, but I think there is... Someone with a pedigree there to really step up here. And, um, you know, it, it's something that I think the club is at least starting to do in terms of, you know, you look at the sort of brighton Brentford model. They're what's called pre-signing players. You know, they're looking at talent from far-flung leagues that statistically show the potential to become Premier League players. And then they sort of sign them on the cheap so they don't get exploited in the transfer market. It's, it's a basic negotiating tactic, but one that really forms the backbone of some very successful recruitment models. And it's good to see the club is at least maybe not on the, to the same extent or with the same sort of low transfer fees but they're at least taking steps towards that and you know in the likes of chris richards who could potentially replace either Gehu or anderson or you know franca who could potentially long replace as long term you know that's my instinct at least you know i think there's at least some sensible moves being made here in terms of a succession plan and that's something that we have to give credit to a much maligned club for they've at least taken some steps towards that um, you know, I don't think we need we need to replace Anderson, you know, with a new signing. I think we have Richards there. He's been crying out for game time. He's shown the fans that he l- loves and believes in the project. I think, you know, he's shown on the pitch that he's got what it takes. I mean, I think about his performance against United, you know, when he pocketed Anthony and beat him in a foot race. I mean, th- these are just surface level flashpoints. But even statistically, we- we've seen someone that has a real pedigree and can be a really formidable Premier League centre-back. So, you know, I have no doubt that he's ready. Um, I've gone on a bit of a ramble there, so I apologise about that. That being said, I think it also gives room for sort of cheaper signings with a bit more experience, like uh, Rob Holding, to be that kind of auxiliary centre half, where they're third choice and they come in in an injury, and you know maybe they're not as good, sure, but they certainly are capable of being up to Premier League standard and 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 not embarrassing themselves at this level or or looking like the team is suddenly drastically weaker because of them. So that's a very long-winded way of saying yes, the replacement is there, but I think you know we have to give Chris Richards full credit. He, he's got what it takes, and I, I don't think we need to be sacrificing portions on our budget on our direct replacement and we can obviously then strengthen elsewhere or invest elsewhere in infrastructure and ultimately become more sustainable from a financial perspective
1: yeah and in terms of chris richards obviously he stepped in the last last few games at cdm in the absence of Shep de with that um you know horrific achilles injury uh how do you guys think he's gotten on
0: I mean, it's a nice segue, Bruno. Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, there is a point here about West Ham and the, and the recent games he's been playing in, but at large, you know, I think particularly in that former game, it was essential that we saw him feature. And, you know, I think wherever you stick him, I mean, even tweet it out, you know, you could stick him in goal or at centre-half for all I care. Um, it doesn't really matter to me. You could stick him up top. I think he makes the team better. And I think when you look at the numbers, you know, we're looking at West Ham, for instance, where he won 11 duels, five tackles and five interceptions v... Uh, West Ham, for instance. And generally he had a really formidable performance. Now, I don't think he really lived up to the same standard in the other two games. You know, particularly against Bournemouth, that was very surprising considering the, the standards he showed. But you know, it was a matter of the match performance against to to West Ham and uh, it was fantastic to see. So, you know, I have no issues about his ability there. I think he said himself he struggled to adjust to maybe sort of the long balls over the top. And I think, you know, positionally, he's always going to struggle to adapt in a role that is completely different to a back line. Um, I'm not saying he had a perfect game. I think, particularly for the goal that West Ham gave away, for instance, where he gets spun by um, by Mohamed Kudis, I think it wasn't prime. But he's definitely got what it takes, and I think you know, in the absence of better options, you know, he's probably someone who could could be relied upon. What do you think, Bobby?
2: Um, I think he did well against West Ham. I think he was one of the better players against Bournemouth. But then again, I would say they were probably a little bit stronger in midfield, and Lerma was the best player on the pitch. So maybe. I was missing something there and maybe he was a bit missing. I'm not sure. And I thought against Liverpool on Saturday, he was very good. So I, I certainly think it's nice to have a player who can step into that role if need be. Um, I certainly think he's a centre-half. I definitely don't think he's a fullback. I think he's awful when he plays uh, full-back. He's played at right-back a couple of times for Palace. I've not been impressed. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Richard's going back to the centre-back point can definitely step in and he's putting a good shift in, in midfield. And I fully expect that to continue against Man City. I mean, I expect Palace to get thrashed by Man City, but I expect another six, seven out of ten performance from Richards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I he's mean, tactically yeah. important. In, 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 he's tactically important in how he can play both as a holding midfield head, but drop back into the sort um, of third centre back role when defending. And I think that'll be especially important against Manchester City. Um, he possesses a lot of traits that work in midfield. You know, he's strong, tall, relatively quick. Um, he's not got that much balance, which does hurt him. And I think that's that was probably uh, a baptism of fire in terms of the kudos goal. You know, that definitely contributed to that. Um, he's maybe a bit conservative in his passing. Uh, he doesn't like sort of a forward ambitious pass very often. And that can harm our progression, especially against Bournemouth, you know, where he was less impressive. I felt like we were struggling a lot to build from the back and that mostly stemmed from not having a player like Decore at our base of midfield to move us forward. But, you know, in terms of the best um, sort of delegate for this current period of time, I'd say he's doing a, a fine job, all, all things considered, and he's um, got a chance of continuing that and hopefully we will put in another good performance against Manchester City.
2: Well, that's the thing, right? I think when you watch him um, in midfield, he certainly looks like a centre-half in midfield. He, he looks very good defensively, but he's got nothing else. He'll have to quickly play the ball off to Lerma when Lerma was playing alongside him. It's just, he's very, very good defensively. He was winning every one-on-one, but anything else he's not got. So certainly I think he's more that player who will go back to centre-half um, and possibly be the Anderson replacement because I do think he a already made Anderson replacement.
0: No, of course. I mean, we do have to be sensitive when discussing Richards because, you know, he is a makeshift at the end of the day. And I think we have no matter how good or bad he plays in midfield, we have to temper expectations with that. Um just want to draw attention to some statistical differences between Decore and, and his cover in Richards. Um, just a little
2: fact about Decore. Um, without Takori, we only have five points from nine games, which is the
0: equivalent of 0.555 recurring points per game. You multiply that across a season, that's only 21 across 38. I mean, those are relegation numbers. You know, I know it's not the biggest pool to go from, but I mean, if there was anything that underlined his importance, it's that. Do we have anyone other than Lerma himself who fills that gap? You know, not exactly. And we need him in that pivot. So just to really hit home the impact there that Takori has on this team, I think it's laid bare there. He was our player of the season last year. And I think, again, it's things like this that underline exactly why he is not just pivot, not just the pivot, sorry, but pivotal to the way that we play. He is so, so important. And I think that's also a nice segue into injuries, which seems to be a crisis with Mitchell against Bournemouth and so on. That's only deepening. So, I mean, Bruno, can you talk us through the exact extent of the crisis at the moment? Because, my God, it is something.
1: It's bad. I mean...
0: Really? I didn't know that. No. (laughs) What's different to
1: the last crisis we had earlier in the season is it's now a seriously important core group of players, especially in Johnston, Mitchell, um, Lerma, DeCore, and Eze. That is our basically entire core bar Bar Mark and Anderson. You know, we're missing Edward as well. He's he's our top goal scorer this season. Uh we've got no Henderson to fill in. Uh it's pretty concerning. Um <laughs> I'd say the Support of the fans on a week-to-week basis is defined by players, and I've said this before, that excite them. You know, players that will make you scream, go on, stand up in your seat and look forward for something exciting. Those players have traditionally been for us this season, Eze, Elise, and um, Rak And At the moment, two of them are out and one of them is coming back from a long-term injury. That is harming the excitement uh, of watching Crystal Palace, as is the tactics of Roy Hodgson. And we're not playing young players in the place of the injured players. And that's just creating this sinking feeling where there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There are no benefits to look for. There's no silver linings in in the cloud. You know, we're crippled with injuries um, across our team and especially in midfield. And we've been bullied there in recent times. And it's led to this run we're on where the only team we've beaten uh, at home is Wolves this season. And the only game we've won was against Relegation zone, Burnley in the last what two and a half months. Mm. It's, I'm gonna be honest, terrifying. I think mm. and I don't yeah. want to just compound the negativity because I I try to look for optimistic points, but this is the most scared I've been of relegation since the seven nil and three 0 in Roy's last season, and it's reminding me a lot of that pardue season where we very nearly. Went down and only got saved at the last moment. And I don't think making a, a rash change managerially is necessarily needed, but I think Hodgson needs to adapt to the mentality of the fans because he needs to get the supporters back on side. He's uh, spoken about
0: that, of course, himself, yeah. you know, particularly against Liverpool where it really showed in terms of the booing off the stage equivalent versus Bournemouth and compared to sort of the Liverpool atmosphere, which was a phenomenally supportive. And yeah, uh, you know, that that does speak volumes, doesn't it, Bruno?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, if he makes the right substitutions, if he makes the right lineup picks to to get the fans on board, I promise you no one will mind if we lose to Manchester City.
0: Speaking of substitutions, I want to bring Bobby in on this because one of the points that I'm quite keen to stress is, you know, everyone knows about the lack of backing from the board, the holes in the squad. We'll get onto the window, by the way, because it's about time we can actually start talking about January. But, you know, I, I wanted to make the point here that maybe Roy Hodgson doesn't help himself here you know, the board hasn't given him a great hand, but there are the likes of, you know, Franca, Hamada, Rina and so on, who don't seem to get a look in at all. So, you know, is it a case of Roy not doing enough to actually, you know, actually embed the squad within his thinking? Is he actually holding the squad back further by not only not playing youth or not playing to his full strength, but um, then also not being backed by the board? So, you know, you combine the two and you have a toxic storm. Is it is it a case of both? I mean, who's more to blame, Bobby?
2: Um. It depends where you look at it from, because substitutions, I'll I'll pick that up first. If you think about the Liverpool game, I don't think it was the right game to bring Franca on. I don't think it was the right game to bring Ahamada on. I don't think that was the right game. The team that were out there were doing well. Then they were hampered by the red card to IU, which was unfortunate and I would say probably unfair. But I don't really want to get too much into that. So substitutions, I can't blame Roy for that game. Um, Against West Ham, then again, I think seeing the point out was what Roy wanted to do. So substitutions again, I can't really moan about that. The game I would moan is Bournemouth because I think that was the game that was calling out for a bit more energy in the game, uh, in, in the game, calling out for a bit more energy from the team. And that's maybe when you chuck that young player on, whether it's Franca, well, Franca would have been the ideal one, just to try and run at them and try something different because Palace had nothing to lose at one, 0 there and everything to gain. They just had to find a goal from somewhere and the team showed no willingness to do it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you should have changed something in that game. We almost had 60% possession in that
0: game. I know we don't want to look at the games granularly, but I mean, this wasn't exactly a game where we were getting battered either. You know, we conceded an unfortunate set piece and, you know, we'd struggled to really utilise any of what was otherwise a, a fairly sort of dull, but nonetheless controlling performance. I mean, I don't really think we had much attacking intent, but we at least had the ball, you know, it was a, it was a marked contrast from some of the other games. Um, you know there is obviously a lot of issues with how the squad's being utilised, but I think we might as well start from the top properly. In what was a very very poor week for results, and um, Bruno, let's bring you in on West Ham. I mean, I, there was a lot of talk after that game. I mean, obviously, talk about Chris Richards. That was a, that was a nice positive. But after the game, a lot of people weren't actually happy with the point, saying that it was a must-win given the uh, the barren spell that we were a on and b looked to continue to be on. So, you know, do you respect the point?
1: In the long term of the season, yes, but directly after the game, you really don't want to because we played pretty poorly um, and our fans wanted to see a reaction and they didn't get it. You know, we'd been beaten by Everton in a quite embarrassing manner the week before and also of Luton, of course, uh, equally bad. And we showed no reaction whatsoever. It's a draw. And the problem with a draw for me in that case is, yes, you get a point, but it's inconclusive in terms of, how you evaluate the the form of the manager and the form of the players. Because I feel like if we'd lost to West Ham and then lost to Bournemouth and then lost to, lost to Liverpool, then Hodgson would be under a lot more pressure than he actually is. Uh, and that's more decisive. Or if we win at West Ham, obviously it's a brilliant result and that's fantastic and Hodgson relieves pressure on himself. But instead, it's just like a tiny little benefit for him that we picked up a point there and a benefit for the for the team across the season but i feel like if you evaluate this sort of five grand five game period uh and and Roy Hodgson's sort of job security i feel like that game wasn't the result of the game wasn't in the best interest of the club
0: that's a very interesting take i mean do you, do you do you expect more results like like sort of the ones we saw over the last week to really put more pressure on hodgson or do you think that the club is going to accept that he's got a difficult run of fixtures just now and we'll just kind of weather the storm until it's possibly verging on too late
1: I'll be honest. I just hope we win as much as possible. I don't want to even think about, you know, what the club's going to decide to do because chances are I'll be wrong. Um, I think we have a plan for the season, and we're going to stick to it because last year we didn't with Vieira, and I think there is maybe a lot of regret or hindsight about that decision. And I think maybe the club is trying to learn from their mistakes by not acting too rashly with getting rid of a manager that has, with a you know, has a track record keeping us safe. Across five seasons in the Premier League, including out of some very dark scenarios, such as losing the first seven games of the Premier League season without scoring in 17-18. So, you know, if anyone can get us out of this hole, I'd say Roy Hodgson could be that guy, because our players like him, he knows the club, he's done this before, countless times. And, you know, with a strong window and with recoveries from injuries, I I back our chances to be safe, but yet again, it's it's a grim season overall.
2: Bobby, I saw you putting your hand up there. Got yeah, the a couple of things yeah. on Hodgson. Um, I think the first thing is that um, his interview with TNT after the game against Liverpool. I think it was so raw, it was so honest, but it was just so good. It was six minutes of just pure honesty from Hodgson and good point. And I think that itself would have won a lot of people back. It was so much better. It's so polished. And he just spoke honestly about how the game went, how Palace were unlucky. And I, I really got it from him. Um, and I, like I say, it brought me back on site because after the game on Wednesday night against Bournemouth, I was furious I'd wanted him gone. But I certainly think that was much better from Roy. And I, I think he will see the season out, almost certainly now. And I think Gary Cahill summed it up pretty well, actually, after we lost to Bournemouth, when he said that Roy will do what he knows best and that's going back to the training pitch and drilling the players And coming up with a new plan, we saw that exactly on Saturday against Liverpool. They did that perfectly. So, uh, as I say, I do think Roy's job security is a bit better now. Palace have got an awful run of fixtures with an awful lot of injuries. So it's kind of a bit of a free pass for Roy now. Mm. Obviously, the Brighton game's a bit different. No matter what squad you've got, you're expecting the team to go out there and give it their all. You expect the team to go out there and give it their all, but you expect them to give it 110% rather than 100%. But it, it will be interesting. It's certainly an interesting period for Palace. I'm not expecting much from it. Maybe the Brentford game's a game you target for points, um, Brighton's a game you're always going to target for points no matter what team you've got out and City Chelsea and Arsenal are pretty much Chelsea less So the they're,
1: they're a wild card right now and we have a horrible record against them we haven't beaten <laughs> them since the double win in 2017
2: so Palace are well over the, a the statisticians
1: would say yes The those on probability would say no but um, I'm thinking we may be in with a shout for that one if we build on our performance against Liverpool instead of treating that as a benchmark. Mm. Speaking
0: of, I mean, I think Bournemouth, you know, the less that said the better. I, I don't want to just gloss over it, but, you know, I think in the interest of time, I think everyone knows that we simply weren't at our best. We were lazy. We didn't utilise the possession we had. We had no attacking intent and the goals we could were sloppy. I think everyone was disgusted at that performance. I think I know I was. I think very, very few people, even the most sort of pro-Hodg most so-called sane Palace fans were, you know, very much, uh, well, they weren't enamoured, let's just say, with that performance and. It really uh, fueled this kind of fire that's going on at the club at the moment that just doesn't look like it's going out anytime soon. Um, but Liverpool was a bit of an interesting one. And I think we need to unpack it in more detail because there was a very different atmosphere as you hinted. hint at that. You know, I think Hodgson had given them this rallying cry to say, look, we've been off it. We we, we, we we know this. We acknowledge how poor we've been, but we need to turn a corner. This is an incredibly tough period. and We need everyone to back us. We need the energy of the fans. And by the way, off the back of some very fan-critical comments again probably won't get into it because I think most people are aware of it. Um, But, you know, it was definitely a a kind of a rallying cry. I mean, putting the results aside just for one moment, Bruno, how did you think the players responded to Bournemouth in the Liverpool game?
1: They had a strong, strong response from the fans. You know, the stadium was empty once that second Bournemouth goal went in. And that is, you know, one of the strongest possible kicks they're going to get because they had 20,000 fans supporting them on a night with the most horrific transport situation, strikes left, right, and center. And we still went and we watched that and it was horrific. Um, And we made our thoughts very clear and we responded to that, um, to that anger, but also that faith put in them because we went again, you know, same numbers again on Saturday. And We put in a more spirited performance against Liverpool. Yes, we ended up losing in quite a sad manner. But I really think if we don't have the ravaged squad that we have right now, we end up picking up one, if not three points from that game. Mm -hmm. Jordan made a horrific decision. I don't know what was going through his mind. He is an experienced player. Um, I think the referee's general attitude towards us that game was, was baffling. Um, But I should have been able to detect the way that the game was going and what the referee wanted to do, because what are you shaking your head about, Bobby?
2: I don't agree. I, I, I don't agree at all. I think any footballer in their right mind doesn't think that's a second yellow card. Whether the referee's attitude has been poor. It's not a second yellow card. Game. It should
1: never be a second yellow card.
2: I, so is- first of all, the first yellow card was never a yellow card. So we, I, that should be addressed. I, I don't see how... Did it did Tommy it. two months ago. Yes. He should
1: have learned from that and gone. sometimes referees screw you over. I was but, 32 years old and he should know better.
2: But the second yellow card, it's a foul that I think he should have made. I think it's a foul that made in any game of football you watch i don't think it's necessarily a attack or is an attack ending foul but i don't think it's a awful foul that warrants a yellow card
1: that's fair um and yet again i disagree with both yellows and the sending off and our players were damaged for tactical or debatably tactically fouls the entire game uh, whilst Liverpool seemed to get away with every one, so I
2: do think it's a tactical foul, but I don't think it's a second yellow card foul. I think, yeah, for the positioning of it, Palace had the absence of someone on the left, which means Liverpool are probably going to be necess- in quotation marks in, but I don't think they actually were. When you looked at the the positioning of the central defence and the and the um other side fullback, so I don't think Liverpool were in. So I don't think it was the definition of a yellow cardable offence. I thought it was a, like I say, it's a foul you see every week that's not a booking. And yep. I don't think you can blame I use maturity for that because I think it's a foul that you're probably taught to make when you're playing the game. Particularly in a Hodgson
0: system as well, by the way. But um, I was just going to go, hey, consensus. Because it's nice that I think we've at least agreed that, you know, regardless of whether, you know, you should have made the foul or not, at least we can all agree that there was some very suspect officiating, you know, both teams making very similar numbers of fouls in that game, but receiving very, very different treatment for it. Um, Palace, as it happens, were fined £25,000 automatically, as per FA rules, for the number of yellows. Um, Bruno, you look very annoyed at that.
1: (laughs) What did you have to say on that? I don't see how we can be fined for... Something that wasn't down to our actions, but instead down to officiating the referee. Argue with the FA. That's my five thousand pounds and the football game. And potentially long term, you know, that will affect our placement in the Premier League table. That will affect our prize money. It could affect Mm. whether or not we're relegated, though I heavily doubt it. It's annoying because I feel like this season there hasn't been a single game where the referee has not felt like an opposition member. and I, it's this season worse than any other season, and I want to, you know, be supportive of officials. I want to be encouraging, you know, more a more polite treatment with referees. They they get a lot of horrific treatment. I've spoken to my dad about it, um, which is a weird person to pull in in this case, but it's because <laughs> I asked him once why he wasn't a referee, and he said I couldn't even do a Sunday league game with dad screaming at me from the sidelines, let alone thirty thousand angry people that mm.
2: leave threats on the occasion. And you know that's what these. When you're paid, it, it? You, you're, you're paid that amount of money, shouldn't come into it, should it? You're you paid that amount of money. You're the no best... amount
1: of money excuses. Supposing...
2: No, no, but you're supposedly the best referees on the planet. Um, you're you're paid an unbelievable amount of money to do that job. You and should an
1: unbelievable be... amount of money by Liverpool Football Club. But should different.
2: be. <laughs> you should be competent. Enough. You should be competent enough to be able to understand the game that's got you to the top, the elite level, if you like. I I don't quite get the argument that referees are under so much pressure because they've done the hard work to get to that league. So surely they're good enough. Surely they understand the game. Surely they understand the system. Surely they have a bit of common sense, which apparently they're not allowed to use because of the rules um, from the the refereeing rules or the rules of the game, if you like. I just don't quite understand how we can be at a point where officiating is so bad. And surely they have to change that. In a job, if you're in an office job, if you're performing poorly you're you're sacked, you you don't you don't get that job. You you go on to a plan. you go on to whatever. Where is this for referees? There's there's no punishment. They get downgraded to the championship for a week, but then they're back in the Premier League again. There's nothing if they're performing poorly or making poor decisions, there's no disciplinary. There's no nothing. They, they have to sort it out. Don't remind
0: me of office jobs because I almost had an aneurysm today trying to understand a very niche part of Spanish taxation law and like logic for e-commerce. Complete aside. Um, But yeah, like any job, you know, you have performance reviews. You're not sacked at the first mistake. Never. You know, people make mistakes.
2: He made a mistake. and Andy, Andy Madden but... has been making mistakes since the minute mm. he stepped foot in the Premier League. He is an appalling referee at that standard he'd probably do great at sunday league but he is not a premier league referee and i'm sorry it's just awful that he keeps getting away with it if i mean
1: for me the premier league has only three top class
2: referees and that's immensely disappointing that's i'd that. go as far to say they only have one i think michael, michael oliver. oliver Michael best Oliver, referee. yeah, <laughs> the best one of the best referees on the planet he makes thinkers every now and then but i think he's got like a 98 uh rate of getting decisions right he's a brilliant referee but I don't know any, any more who are that level of good. And is it? I saw someone suggest, is it time you start importing referees from brawl? I don't think that is the answer, because Jared Gillett was supposed to be the next big thing, the man who can operate VAR. I'm sorry, he cannot operate a piss-up in a brewery. Right, right,
0: right. Time for some positivity. We've gone on a big rant about refereeing. Um, I want to talk about something a bit different Um I mean, I'm not going to apologise for saying this. Um, You know, I've realised I haven't even introduced you guys like I normally do on the pod. Apologies. Bruno, I don't care how you're doing. I see you most weeks. I hear from you most weeks. I know what's going on. Bobby, senior writer here at the Palace Sway. You've been leading a fantastic team of of really avid sports journalists and yourself and and all of those that work with us. We're we're really glad to have. Um, But obviously, I won't apologise for saying I think outside of the club itself, we're probably the best one-stop shop for all things. Under Under 18s and under 21s. Um, I am leaving that in. Don't care. Um, you know, and it's obviously if, if the men's team isn't really a feel-good place to be at the moment, then whether it's the women's team or it's the youth teams, I think there's a lot of feel-good around the club at the moment. So, you know, results have generally been more positive elsewhere, and I think there's a really exciting crop of talent. Um, for those of you that are listening and you don't know already, we run a series here at TPW called The 1%. Um, we basically have this argument here, okay, you know, less than 1% of, of footballers from academy level at Premier League level make it into the big leagues and actually make first team appearances in the Premier League. Um, but we think there's always that 1% in the academy. It's the nature of how fans think. And we've been running a series looking at individuals themselves, many of whom, as we'll get on to later, are expected to actually feature in the squad in some capacity V Man City. Um, Bobby, just take us a bit, just tell us a bit about the under 21s and the under 18s at the moment, just generally. How are they doing? Let's bring them in. Let Bruno do it. Let Bruno do it. Bruno, yeah, yeah. it's not there. my strength. I, will let it. Can I? I'll let it that bit out. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's a real feel good around the club. Um, Bruno, just tell me a bit about what's going on with the youth teams at the moment. You're kind of our resident expert here.
1: Well, I'd I'd say Henry's our resident expert, but I'm happy to play second fiddle to him. Uh, our 21s are doing pretty pretty well this season. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of young players in there who are ready for their first senior loan, uh, whether it be in 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 League Two or, or League One. Um, you know, players like Ozo, as I mentioned earlier, Jack Paul Morrison's probably probably knocking on the door there. Uh Teo Adromola, whether or not he stays to play back up to to Mitchell or he goes out on loan again. You know, we've got players that are ready for that uh and have serious potential either in the Premier League or in the championship. You know, we will sell some of them on for a for a substantial profit, or we will um have them play regular football with us, which would be brilliant. But I'll be honest, the under 18s is where the serious talent lies and that's the way it's going to work with the with the category one status achieved in, in 2020 is as the players get older and we've attracted better players at a younger age and had more time with them we will see better quality of those players over time and so our 18s at the moment we've got right now i say seven or eight players that will absolutely be starting in the 21s by the end of next season um, you know, Jesse Derry, in particular, we've just done a piece on him, is remarkable. You know, he's 16, just turned 16. He's come into the 18s and he's, you know, one of our top goal scorers after Marsh, top assistors in there. Um, and all of our attacks come through him. Pretty much all of them. Uh, mm. We didn't play as well without him. He's been called up for England. He's been brilliant. Zach Marsh, obviously, has four hat tricks this season. Uh, Mophie Gemini is an amazing centre-back. Reminds me of Joe Gomez and how he plays, but he's um, sort of more Mark Gay-like as well at the same time in terms of his distribution and the fact he plays on the left side of defence. I'm really impressed with our young players, and a lot of them were on the documentary a couple of years ago. Like Leon Elliott has played mostly as a backup this season uh, in defence, but he'll sort of come into that squad uh, as, as Gemini makes the step up to the 21s. Uh, and Billy Eastwood is our goalkeeper for the 18s. He he was on the um documentary, the documentary as well. So, yeah, yeah. there's a lot to look forward to in terms of our academy. You should absolutely watch those on, on Palace TV as well, just to throw a little promo their way. But um, no, I mean, our, our 21s have, you know, so much potential that they will be rewarded this weekend. Uh, we've got like six or seven players traveling with the squad. Uh, yeah, it's list... not. Yeah, go on. Um, I'm going to list them off. Uh, in Joe Whitworth as a goalkeeper Uh, he obviously has two Premier League appearances to his name as of last season Uh, Sean Graham uh, an Irish um, centre-back and international for their under-21s he's incredible on the ball Theo Adramola absolutely rapid left back David Ozo powerful midfielder and deceptively good on the ball uh, having transitioned from a attacking midfielder to a bit more box-to-box of me powerful centre forward, relatively Benteke esque actually, but with a lot more finesse and left footed. So I, think I, see him go I don't out think...
2: on loan in January as well. Yes, um, yes, he's the one that I think will go out on loan. Just going back to what Bruno said on loans, I think the club wants to loan out Jack Wallace Morrison, but injuries have kind of changed that. Um And I desperately think Raksaki needs a loan if we can get him back to fitness because he's not going to get minutes in the squad this season. He had a good spell at Charlton last year. Um and he could have had a championship line this year, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Um, so I think that's certainly got to be the target in January, but I'm not sure it's in the club plans. Yeah, absolutely. We'll the rest of the
0: list,
1: yeah, yeah. Sorry, just going back to that list. Uh, Franco Ume as well. Um, Irish can play right wing, right wing back, striker. Crazy left-footed strike on him. Powerful, quick, skillful. Got a got a good cross on him as well. He's he's quite exciting. I don't know if he'll actually um make the squad because he's younger but he'll travel and he was training with them on Tuesday um and finally Malcolm Mbouet of course more of a staple in the first team first team bench sort of area and has been more recently with our with our numbers but you know he's technically and physically incredibly talented um he's got one hell of a strike on him as well uh scoring from effectively the halfway line a couple of weeks ago uh and was incredibly highly rated at Derby so We've got a lot of exciting names on the bench, of course, alongside Matthias Franca, who most likely will not start on Saturday. So let's hope Roy makes the most of it um, because there's a lot of optimism in that area of the club. And I think giving them a chance to shine against a team that themselves have, have recently given young players a chance in the Champions League. Two of their youth players scored on their debut uh, in the Champions League. um the other well, day. first start, certainly,
0: in the case of Boston. Yeah. But yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so like clubs will be rewarded if they give young players a chance that's the point of the academy it's the point of the 25 million pound investment plus yearly running costs we've got a lot of pride in this thing let's have something let's to show it
0: i mean just just to reiterate that's um that's seven different youth players here that we expect to be in the squad i mean that's a lot of faith i mean regardless of how we're traveling traveling with yeah so you know i don't expect that all feature of course not but i mean that's still a testament to not only what we've achieved as a club in terms of who we 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 think we can bring through but i mean there's so many players for sheer volume alone that we're going to have to rely upon i mean there's got to be at least room for a couple to get minutes so you know really exciting times and and as bruno touched upon the football is incredibly exciting at the moment um it's, it's really positive times to be uh, to be someone who actually follows our youth teams and I know Bruno is always hot on it. And um, Bobby, I want to bring you in here. Do you have anything to add first and foremost? And then could you also just tell us about a bit of a shameless plug, I know, but what we're writing on at the Palace
2: Way and just take us through the uh, the work of some of the writers that we work with. Yeah, just um, well on Saturday and about youth, I don't think it is a testament to the club system at all, actually, because I think they're being forced to play the players. Um, if the injuries weren't there, they, these players would be nowhere near the squad. Um Whitworth will start in goal. Um it might be Matthews, bit of a d- debate there. I'm not entirely sure on that, but I think they might favour Whitworth. Um I think Bruno's spot on to say Franco won't play on Saturday. Um and I think he'll probably play Schlup on the left and maybe put Gyro in midfield. I think that's probably the most likely of the situations that could occur.
1: Yeah, I just don't so- want Gyro and Schlup in, in in a in a single midfield together. Like I love them kind of as palace play. I like them as I like them as, as people, team. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like them as people, you know, I've met Jeff, Jeff Slough, and he's actually, a, he's a lovely guy. Um, gyro similarly, you know, helps young players and new signings um, sort of accommodate to the squad or or assimilate rather. Um, but in terms of being Premier League um, built at this stage in their careers, you know, Gyro doesn't have an explosiveness or match sharpness to to really compete, especially not against Manchester City. And Jeff Schlupp's lost a lot of the pace that that made him such a standout player, so it's quite concerning. Uh, I, I, I not... do think
2: we've got to be fair to Schlup as well, and he's in some pretty decent form at the minute. I think the last probably three or four games he's played all right I, I mm. think standards, anyway. He's For okay. standards, yeah, Schlupp standards, yeah, but then it's Schlupp standards.
0: I don't expect him to, to kind of score every game or make an impact like he did against Burnley, but I still think you know there's there's a lot of players, not just Schlup to be fair, but a lot of players where we need to demand more from them. Um,
2: guys, I've got no, better now than he. Did. Did in the first half of the season, absolutely, absolutely, and I yeah. think it's
1: oh, a role for him. I think we've been coaching him to um rely a lot more on using the outside of his foot when passing and releasing, and it's allowed him to be more effective in the transition and in counterattacks for us. Um, and sort of keeping him in between center mid and left wing will be uh, a strong role for him against Manchester City, who he traditionally plays well against. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I did you miss the
2: so bug in the um thing, unless you're going to cut that, you can add yeah. it down.
0: That's fine. I can. I can. I can cut that. It's
2: fine. Um. I sorry.
0: We didn't get a chance to cover it, but I, I wanted to just talk very quickly about the work we're doing on, on the youth academy over at the Palace Way. Shameless plug, I know, but obviously you head up a team of some fantastic sports journalists. Um. Could you tell us a bit more about what we're writing at the moment, just briefly?
2: Yeah. So i um, have got a really good team doing some great work. Um. But mainly on youth, it's Henry taking taking the reins if you like um, you've got the 1% club as you already mentioned and he's doing match reports on the majority of the under 21 game obviously some of them aren't broadcast so we don't necessarily we're not necessarily able to get a report out on them but the majority of the games, he's getting reports out he's doing some really good work it's really fascinating the 1% club I'd recommend if you haven't already giving it a read it, it does some justice on some fantastic young talents that Palace have got Uh, His most recent piece on Jesse Derry was really well received, uh, had some good feedback, whether that's from the club or fans. um, But yeah, he's doing a great job. Fantastic.
0: And what a shameless, shameless way to plug our website. If you're not already doing so, guys, make sure you're heading to thepalaceway.com, nice and simple. Um, and just checking out some of our fantastic articles there. You know we work really hard editing that and, and putting out some very kind of niche content for you guys. Um, you know it's something that we feel is is underserved really in terms of the academy. So you know we have a we have a terrific team basically working pretty consistently around the clock to kind of just get stuff out there. It's a solid team now about three or four people writing. Um, if you're not already doing so, please make sure you're following us on socials at the Palace Way, particularly on Twitter, where we're posting stats, articles, reviews, a whole lot more. Um, we obviously next time we'll be coming back to talk about what is a huge six pointer. It always feels that way with Brighton, but I think more so more than ever, we need to get points on the board. We'll be talking about city and we'll be talking about Brighton. I think, you know, these are all huge games next week. So we really need to kind of go into it. Um, um of course, we'll also be looking at the January transfer window. It's that time of year. Um, you know, we obviously know about some of the failures um, from the board that's been talked about to death, frankly, not just on this pod, but elsewhere. And, um, it is worth saying, just before we wrap up, the board is looking pretty evidently at a, a central midfielder to replace Those come That comes directly from Steve Parrish um, himself, um, and probably a forward as well. Perhaps even a, a left-back now to cover Tyree Mitchell. So, you know, it seems like there's some fairly ambitious noises coming out the club. Um, you know, really excited to see if we, if we actually do something meaningful there in that window. And of course, we'll have it all for you over on the Palace way. So all that's left for me to say is if you haven't done so already... Make sure to leave us a review on uh, not just on Spotify or on Amazon, wherever you get your podcast. we're on there. Make sure you leave a review. It can be five star, it can be one star, we don't mind. You can say Alex sounds like a posh twat, you'd be right. Um, but it doesn't matter because we want your feedback. We want to make this podcast as good as it can be for you guys. Um, other than that, just a big thank you. Um, I didn't introduce Bruno and Bobby properly. So instead, I'll do something I don't always get to do, which is to give them the chance to say goodbye. But it's goodbye from me and from you, Bruno. See you next time. And from you, Bobby.
2: Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for your support. Up the palace. And we'll see you at City.